HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And I know their favorite show is Tech Bites because we talk about the intersection of food and technology. Technology is everywhere. It's global. Everybody has it on their phone and on their computer and sometimes on their person. It's great. It's the future. It's fun. It's also a little scary sometimes when we think about AI and fake food and, you know, something possibly dystopian. But the future can be very fun. If you have been a faithful listener of Tech Bytes since 2015, you will know that our last episode of the year, we always look at the next year. I love predictions. Part of technology is the future. I love trying to predict the future, know the future. And so that's what we look at. And we always try and find somebody who sits in an interesting seat to sort of take a look at their point of view and their business. If their business is the business, that's always helpful. So today, I'm very happy to give a Heritage Radio Network Tech Bytes welcome for his first time in the booth, for his first time doing radio here with us in Bushwick at Roberta's Pizza inside the shipping container, is RJB. And that's a great radio name, RJB, which is appropriate because RJ is the brand new executive director for Heritage Radio Network. And he comes from being one of the creators of the Osiris Media Music Podcasting Platform, from nonprofit storytelling media. And now he's here. So he has a great sense of what's coming in the world of podcasting and online digital media. But he also has a very specific idea of what's coming in 2024 to Heritage Radio Network. And I get the first crack at talking about it and maybe putting uh, what's happening on Tech Bytes in 2024 
onto the top of the roster. So RJ, welcome. Thank you for coming out on this day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for, for being first. It's awesome. Yep. And we were just joking before uh, we went live that, you know, we love being first, you know, put like a picture of Ricky Bobby up in the studio, you know, words, words and goals to live by. RJ is here in the studio and at Roberta's because tonight we are hosting a really fun music, live music event in the uh, Christmas Tiki Bar. I mean, they have just put an explosion of blow up Grinch elf Christmas Santa lights into the Tiki Bar. Um, if you've been out here, you know what that looks like. And I promise you it is worth the trip to just come and see it. We're doing a great event. Um, this will not post in time for people to come out and join. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but maybe one of the trends we're talking about for 2024 in podcasting and podcasting on HRN is live, but we'll get to that. So first RJ, um, what are you doing here? Good question. Um, well, right now I'm just, you know, reveling being in the, in the studio. I've been here a bunch of times, but this is my first time recording here, as you mentioned. So I'm just, I'm happy to be here. Um, started, uh, in mid October and I am, you know, finding, well, I'm listening a lot. I'm listening. That's the main thing I'm doing. Although now I have to quickly go from listening to making sure that things get done. So making sure that other people are listening. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm good at listening. So that part of the process was good, but yeah. So I, um, you know, you mentioned that I had started a music podcast company five, six years ago, um, which is still going and still releasing content. Um, this opportunity came across in the summer a long time ago. And I, I love food. I mean, I love advocacy. I love the combination, but to me, the organization has such a rich history and I think the ceiling in terms of potential audience is just really high. Like when I, where I come from the music world, everything's in genres, you know, and they're fans of specific bands, genres, artists, etc. I feel like everyone's kind of a, a food person in one way or another. Um, whereas Cause with, everybody eats. Yeah. And yeah. And I think, and, and also we're just moving toward a, society, maybe we'll talk about this in prediction, but just like where people are wondering a little bit more, like what is, where does my food come from? How does it work? People are concerned about climate change, of course. I mean, some people, more people than, than in the past. So I think there's like a lot of interest in, in food, but also like how we consume and create food and, and where it comes from and how we can all maybe make it a little bit more sustainable. I, I would agree with all those things. There's perhaps a distinction between music and food in terms of one being an art and one being a necessity to live. And that's not to say that there is not within the spectrum of food an artistic point. There's an end, there's a space in the food world, the culinary world, where it is artistic. And there is some food that even people really don't eat or get nourishment from that is very, very... Um, luxurious or just sensational and that type of thing. But music really, I mean, people talk about, you know, something like music as being, you know, nourishing the soul and connecting, you know, to art, connecting to something that is, uh, you know, fundamental in all of us, like humanism, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, 
probably necess- a necessity to have a fulfilled life in some way, shape, or form, because a life without art might be very dark. Yeah. But not as essential as actual food into the body to keep, you know, keep everything working. I would be curious to ask you, though, in, in terms of just like a parallel, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds because you and I will sit here and talk for like three hours about lots of things if we don't keep <laughs> to the topic, which is inherently one of my problems. I try and stay focused on the outline of the show and the story arc. You talked about people listening to music in genres and following artists. And, you know, Spotify is one of the top podcasting platforms. It's one of the big ones that's growing. Um, I read some statistic that they, their podcasting audience uh, grew by something like 3,000% or something like yeah. that recently. I mean, just stratospheric. And I'm, I'm thinking of the genres because of the whole Spotify wrapped at the end of the year where you get the really fun visual images and little video of all the stuff that you listen to. And one of them is how many genres you listen to. Mm -hmm. I listened to 39 genres in 2023, which I feel like is great. Yeah. And a lot. Yeah, it sounds like a lot. um, And crossing over in different things. But in your experience in terms of music programming and a media platform for music, did you do you see much cross pollination between genres? Or is it like groups of genres like R and B, jazz? hip hop soul are kind of together and people would move through those specific genres, but never really go from like hip hop to classical because in, in her- yeah. the interesting thing is that while food is one of the most democratic things there is in the world, because it is a, a thing that we all share. It's also one of the most highly personalized experiences that you have. Cause the, the food that you eat is about, your family history, your geography, your religion, your philosophy, your philosophy on food, whether you cook, you don't cook, your income level, what's available to you. All these different types of things filter into what kind of food you eat. And then when you're consuming food media, you know, all the things that you talked about here, we have uh, at last count, I think it was 30 live shows a week Mm -hmm. on Heritage, everything from Farming to cheese to beer to tech to history, news. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people who listen to Cutting the Curd, which is about cheese, might be interested in tech bites, but somebody who's here for AI and algorithms might not necessarily be interested in way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, do you think people cross yeah. genres in music? Is it much more siloed? So the way that I look at it and my background or where I came from in terms of music fandom is kind of classic rock and jam band music. That's like my, that's what, that was my starting point. Jam band, not yeah. the Dan band. Right. Okay. Yeah. Clear, so, <laughs> important distinction. So I feel like there are concentric circles coming out from, from rock and roll and jam band music, the Grateful Dead, Fish, bands like that are really rock and roll bands just slightly you know, more extended, um, instrumentation, but I I think they're concentric circles. Like you move out from there, you get folk and bluegrass and jazz fans. And then you move out from that and you get, um, maybe country and pop so and lineage of evolution Yeah, over, yeah. over time, yeah. essentially. Yeah, definitely. And I think, but I do think like classical is probably less close to the center of that circle than, jazz or folk or bluegrass just because of how the genres have evolved. But if you ask an artist, most musicians 
that I've talked to do not like adhere to the view of genres. Like I think most artists think that they are multi-genre. And so I think that there's like, I think that maybe there are people who want to stick to a particular lane, but I think most musicians like artists or chefs or anyone, they want to see themselves as crossing over, you know, boundaries. So I think if you ask most artists, like what genre they fall into, they would say that there, there is no genre. And I think that's like the democratization of music in terms of how you can get music in front of more people more quickly. You can upload things, you can be on different playlists, which is a huge thing. I think that artists are now like pushing themselves to cross over into other genres because there's more opportunity to like spread your music out in different ways. I, I've seen that happen a lot. And there's more collaborations across genres, partially because of like music festivals that bring together people from hip hop and all kinds of different music. So I feel like it's blending more than it has in the past for, for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, so many things came to mind and I'm actually going to make notes, um, in, on paper with a fountain pen. <laughs> um, you can hear the different influences that musical artists have. You can hear them very clearly in sampling and mm -hmm. influence of, you know, the structure of the music in a song. And it's very easy for fans or people listening to understand where that came from because you can very clearly point to it. Like, this is Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. And across genres, sometimes very surprising. One of the, you know, interesting, one of the most interesting things um, that I like to listen to are how people construct how music is produced or how movie or uh, TV soundtracks are produced in terms of like what components they're using, mm -hmm. you know, what sounds they're using, what tracks they're using, what they're pulling from. And it's really interesting sometimes, most of the time. Mm -hmm. In the food world, you have all those same influences. You have people sampling from chefs, you know, genres, other culinary types, but you can't point to it the same way. And the public can't follow necessarily the same way. And most, most chefs and food people won't necessarily say, oh yeah, and I lifted this sauce baseline flavor from this restaurant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The same way a musician would say, and we lifted this baseline from this song, um, even though there's royalties and things like that. So it's, I mean, it's an interesting, there are definitely probably a lot of similarities, certainly in the way people consume it and the way they view it and certainly now today, the way the algorithm serves it up and the way the different platforms serve it up and decide how they want people to discover new things. There's yeah. probably a lot of parallel to that, but you can't quite point to an influence in a, on a plate the same way you can point to an influence on a track. That's interesting. Yeah. I see what you mean, especially in like current, um, in, in modern in, in like if you're eating today or listening to music today, I think if you look at it from a historical perspective, if you look at the Stones, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, three of my favorite bands, it's it's now widely acknowledged and understood that all that music came from black music. Right. And I think for I think it for a while that was not like people didn't really talk about that, even though everyone kind of knew that. I think I feel the same way that about like 
just talking to Brandon here at Roberta's, like this pizza. Brandon is the pizza guy yeah. here at Roberta's, one of the original owners and pizza czar, yeah, if you will. Exactly. But he, he took, you know, a he's been of, on the show a bunch of times. Okay, actually. good. So yeah. people know. It's, but he took a classic, you know, pizza idea and and brought it here and modernized it. So I think like as you, and any of the pizza places in New York, all the great pizza places I've been are and an homage to something in the past and also with a new spin. So I feel like historically it makes sense both across food and music, but I do see what you mean that there's not a, there's not a sample that mm -hmm. you can see in a, in a sauce that, that you comes have to from be someone else. Very, very, you have to have a deep encyclopedia and experience yeah. of, of things in, in the food world to be able to understand what element someone is riffing with or blending or using if they're not, you know, really upfront about it. And sometimes people themselves don't know just because there's so much cross pollination and sharing yeah. and, you know, all that kind of thing. But it, it is interesting. So where do you sit in the food continuum in terms of like your genres? If we take your profile, you're very clear and specific about the things you like and where you come from and what your affinities are in the music sphere. How do you translate that then now to the food sphere? Yeah, it's a good question. Do you mean my taste specifically or like how I how I translate that? Both. Um, yeah. So I grew up in the Midwest. So like my food history is like pretty straightforward, you know, like I and I still gravitate toward the things that I was like <laughs> introduced to as a kid, which are top three. I mean, like steak, eating a steak is like my favorite experience still. I, I rarely do it, but when I do it, it's like the I'm, it's. It's like listening to an old album, you know, like a like, restaurant style steak, like a T-bone on yeah, the grill or like a, yeah, rib that kind of thing, like, like, a, rib like a steak steak. Ribeye. I would go ribeye. Home at the barbecue or no, like a London no. broil under the broiler. No, no. Restaurant. Restaurant. restaurant like a yeah. restaurant steak. I don't think I can steak. cook. I can't like cook steak at home. I'm not good at cooking meat at home. My we wife. Talk, we can talk about that after okay. the show. My wife's a great cook and she is an improviser. She doesn't use recipes ever, which is, which is astounding to me. But, um, I, I so, so I think the. That's what I, I mean, but I also like, I enjoy discovering new food because I'm a curious person as probably most people are who are listening and, um, people who kind of are intellectually curious, I think are probably also food curious for the most part, you know, and I love discovering new things and just, just even understanding new, like I've been to, I don't know, 10 or so pizza places in New York over the past six months and they're all totally different. And I'm, I can probably like describe the difference between them, but, but not, not in a way that, you know would satisfy a food critic, but, um, or the pizza show. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I have a ways to go before that. Um, in terms of like the, the con, so this kind of, um, I have described this to people, this kind of transition to people who know Osiris as it's kind of like Osiris, but for food in that there are shows that are made by people who have very specific interests, who have very specific audiences. And I think we have a lot of those. I think there's a lot of, um, industry, you know, expertise and an industry audience, which is like really valuable for underwriters and guests like to be in front of the right people. If you go on, if you go on Sam's show, like Grape Nation, you're like, those listeners are people who really know a lot about wine. Same with beer sessions, same with tech bites, same with, you know, we have these silos that remind me of genres. Some of the, yeah, they're genres. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I do think there's crossover, but to me, it's, it's about, um, finding, the people who are in those audiences who don't already know about the content, of course, and then kind of maximizing the engagement with those audiences. So that's a similar thing that I did with the music content. But 
like I said earlier, I think that food is just, it's just much broader. And I think some of the content that like Linda's show, Taste of the Past, that's like a really great historical kind of like a broad sweeping look at food, right? And then there's these like deep dives in, in very specific aspects. Um, I think that we, there's a lot of room for other content too that we haven't yet produced or maybe that we produced in the past and stopped. I mean, I think particularly on the mission side and my background before Osiris was in advocacy and communication. So I worked with a lot of foundations and nonprofits on issues, including agricultural stuff and food, et cetera. So I feel like people are interested in as I was saying earlier, uh, interested in more of the, I guess, advocacy side of food, for lack of a better term. But Well, food has become the way, food has become the lens that many people judge what they're doing in life. Mm -hmm. They make a philosophical stand. They use it as a way to evaluate uh, good and bad things happening, positive things happening, is it good for my body, my family, my city, my planet, my people? Um, it has become very, very polarizing and a flashpoint. It's a huge, 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 you know, gazillion, trillion, trillion dollar business. Yeah. Moving food across the world, uh, getting it to people who has it, who doesn't have it. It has become a, a lens, an expression, a means to understand things, to vote for things, to support things, to penalize things, people. Um, it, it, it's become so multifaceted that it's it's very interesting. I think there's and there's certainly room for everybody. You know, on the one hand, you have something where it's like, oh, let's just talk about pie. You know, like mm -hmm. oh, we're gonna make cookies, holiday cookie time. Let's just make cookies and have some pie. And there's like donuts, and it's great. It's just like easy. It's nice. We'll have a candy bar. And then on the other side, it's it's child slave labor harvesting cocoa in Africa to make that candy bar. Mm -hmm. And how can you support that? How can anybody be interested in supporting that? How can the multinational companies that produce those candy bars who know that, the best they could do is like, we're going to try and reduce it by 2025, mm -hmm. not even eradicate it. So, I mean, and, and those are two ends of the spectrum, yeah. and then you have everything that meets in between. So it's really fascinating. Um, it's a, uh, there's, there's probably room for, you know, a thousand shows if you want to start to segment into that. A thousand shows, and then take those thousand shows and multiply them by, you know, you can listen to Tech Bytes in 165 countries in the world. We could probably do shows in a few other languages also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you could take those thousand shows and multiply it by like 10 and have it in 10 different languages, mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. there, there's a lot there. Um, there's a lot there. It's almost overwhelming. Yeah. Um, is it overwhelming to you coming in? I mean, I know it's fun. It's exciting. It's a new thing. Um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot you could do. Tell us what's coming in 2024. Let's talk about new things. Let's talk about trends. I mean, I on my end, in terms of general, we could talk maybe general trends in podcasting and digital media and media, and then specifically how that is going to articulate in the HRN world. You know, as a podcaster, podcasting is only growing, growing, growing. When I started the show back in 2015, I it was at the beginning. Podcasting wasn't as popular and explosive as it is now. And I like the fact that it was a little nascent. It was a little cutting edge. Mm -hmm. It was still new. I also like the analog aspect of it. You know, there was something at that point in time in 2015 where we had societally 
moved out of verbal communication and face-to-face communication. We had smartphones and texting and Twitter and social media and all these things. And and people were not making phone calls and leaving voicemails or talking to each other face-to-face. So I really liked the idea of the intimacy of talking to someone verbally right in their ear and being able to hear a conversation with a guest the breath, the laugh, mm-hmm. the pause, the thing, it, it, it was so analog and almost antithetical to the way we were communicating now. And I like that very much. I liked the, the meeting of forward technology that allowed the platforms that allowed for, the show was broadcast live at the beginning. The mm-hmm. show was broadcast live from this studio up until March 16th, 2020, when we went remote. But all the shows were broadcast live. They were recorded while they were broadcast. And then they were published on all the different platforms. Having a live radio show is like exhilarating. And the technology allowed that. And then the fact that it was an actual conversation made it to me very analog. So I love that mashup. What I think is coming now, because podcasting is so omnipresent and is just such a part of everything people can do at the point of entry. Anybody can do a podcast if they have a recording Mm -hmm. device. The, now it's the mashup of video and audio podcasts. We all listen to podcasts and watch podcasts. If I'm listening to a podcast, I almost never, ever watch the video. Because mm-hmm. if I'm listening to something, I want to listen to it. If I'm going to see something, I almost feel like I'm watching a show. And there are times when I know that the video version exists and I will intentionally not watch it because I don't want to see the people or I don't want to see what they look like or what happens because it's going to be disruptive to, you know, the mental image and experience that I'm having with just the voices. So, but I do think that, you know, video, it's almost required. Yeah. Um, and I think about video for Tech Bytes for 2024 all the time. I've been thinking about video for a while now. Um, and now that we're back in the studio, which is fantastic, and Tech Bytes will go back to 100% in the studio. And mm-hmm. if we get to go live again, we'll go back to 100% live because I love the um, the very specific energy and sensation that you get of being in the same room, looking at the person you're talking to. Yeah. And it's worth it. Um, we got to have a lot of people from around the world on the show when we were recording remotely on Zencaster, which was amazing. But now if you can't get to Roberta's in Bushwick, you can't be on the show. So (laughs) if anybody's out there listening, who's pitching a show to me or a guest to me, and you all know who you are because you're sitting in my inbox right now, (laughs) get, get, Get people to Bushwick. There's pizza. We got a bar. We got Christmas lights. Got a lot happening. Um, But if you want to be on the show, you got to come to the studio. So I think video is one thing. I think live also, not just live broadcasts, but live events. Um, Part of having a live show meant that the public could interact. People could call in. They could text. They could, you know, social media in or something like that. And that made it interactive in the moment and then really brings people into the experience. So One of my trends, I think, um, both for podcasting as a category and a media and for my show, which means Heritage Radio, hopefully also because (laughs) you're my platform, um, is is live, live and video. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot there. Um, The first thing I'll say is that, um, so I still host uh, a podcast about the band Fish been doing it for almost 11 years and every Friday we go we do it live through a platform called StreamYard 
And what is the name of the podcast and where can the, people find it? It's called the Helping Friendly Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. It's the longest running and I think probably most downloaded podcast about the band. Um, but every Friday we go live in the afternoon. So we do a live video. We're, we're in different places, but you could apply this to everyone in the same place. There's people in the chat who are responding, asking questions. We take video um we take voicemail messages from our Google Voice voicemail that I play, and then we talk about them. It's really nice to be interactive. And also, you I just posted afterwards. There's very little editing. There's no, like, fussing about the audio or the – you just – We just, never edit Tech bytes. Yeah. I like the live conversation. I've only had people ask me to punch something out or change something once or twice. And I always say no. Yeah. Or they ask, well, can we edit it after? And I say, No. <laughs> <laughs> so so I want to bring that to HRN. I think this studio that we're in now will have video capability and live capability by early next year. That's definitely something I want to do. Which for, is in like three weeks. Yeah. Well, that's why early next year, though, also extends into like April right. just by by default. I think it's the first quarter is early next year, right? At least the first quarter. Maybe. We'll see how, we'll see how it goes. But generally, yes. Yeah. I, I think the business of – on the business side of podcasting, so – you started in 2014, right, with Serial, and that's when, like, the modern business side of podcasting really starts. And that's when, I think, for three or four years, there was a really high demand and value for narrative, scripted, well-produced NPR-style podcasts, right, that had multiple... So essentially radio that got dropped into something <clears throat> called podcasting, yeah. which made it different... But yeah. similar in terms of the actual product you were listening to. Yeah, but high production value, mm -hmm. lots of different voices, good sound effects, bringing you into a story and bringing a story along. And then in 2018 or so, once consolidation started happening and Gimlet was bought by Spotify and all kinds of things happened that really pushed to where we are now, which is like back to where we started, which was conversational podcasts. And now in the in the business of podcasting, really, it's just about like who can offer celebrities the most amount of money to do podcasts. And those are the podcasts that are making making money. So we've come a long way and it's been like ebbs and flows back toward, I think, people appreciating the medium as a place to have conversations, which is great because I think I've created a lot of narrative podcasts. We created a fiction podcast. Like I've done a lot of really awesome storytelling stuff, but I think the value of podcasting is in the in the conversation. But I think from an HRN perspective, my my view is like we need to we need to create more of a destination for people. We need to create more of a community around our content, which includes live in-person events along with the the audio and video. I think we we need to kind of raise the profile of the of the brand to the point where people know that if they are passionate about food or want to learn about food, HRN is a way is a place to go. I think we can build this into a destination because we have the we have the content, we have an audience. We really just need to kind of elevate it, um, and that a lot of that just comes with like marketing and cross promotion and things that we can do to help bring new people in. But I, I think the the value of it really is like in the community that we that has already existed before I came in. But also, how do we like maximize that community, grow it, and bring people in to into the community? So that's the way I look at it. Well, speaking of community, did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? Our entire platform is community, supported by members, many of whom are listeners like you. 
supported by grants and supported by underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is in the future. This is the last show of 2023. It's episode 297. And we are talking with RJB, the new executive director of Heritage Radio, about what's coming next year. Do you have an idea of what's coming? Do you have a prediction? Do you have a product? Do you have something? Do you have insider information? If you would like to share your thoughts about what's coming in 2024, or maybe thoughts about what happened in 2023, reach out to us. We are very interactive. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We're all over social media at techbyteshrn. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. Pitch a story. Pitch a collaboration. We're here. We have pizza. We have a studio. We have a lot of things going on. We were just talking about trends for podcasting in 2024, live events, video, people being able to see who's talking, people being able to interact, call in, be there, text in, all of it. We'll have that capability, I think, coming. And we've been thinking about doing that for a long time. So we will hopefully try and get that together on Tech Bytes soon. In terms of focus for the show and topics and things like that, you know, I think one of the topics across the board for the world right now and in media is technology. Technology is always a hot topic whether it's because there's new phones or a new movie or a new video game or, you know, blockchain or some, you know, currency. But AI, I think, is the big tech thing. Mm -hmm. um, it has been the big tech thing in 2023, and I think it will be the big tech thing continuing in 2024. AI and everything that that incorporates, whether it's, you know, the... Uh, AI-generated uh, avatars that people were very hot on, whether it's AI-generated art, AI-generated intel, AI-generated podcasting, scripts, things like that, writing. Um, I do have in mind to do an AI show. Maybe we'll, we'll you know, go to one of the AI machines online and say, you know, write up a script for a 45-minute show on food and tech. What do you got? And then see what it spits out. I mean, I definitely think that's happening here. And AI is going to 
you know, you were talking earlier about people being interested in genres or food and things like that. How much AI algorithm is there going to be in 2024 that's going to push content to people? And how much organic discovery will people have, do you think, in 2024? I mean, I think... Because so, it's kind of hard to get out, get out from under the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, it which is. Which is a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, the upshot is that it will help you discover all the minutia of the thing that you're interested in, which is great for a place like Heritage Radio, yeah. because we have a lot of very focused, specific, specialized shows. Yeah. But then also, as you were saying, if somebody's listening to, you know, the cheese episode, maybe they would be interested in the farming episode. Yeah. And how do they connect those? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a few things. The first is that I do think that there is a positive side to the, to AI. I think it's mostly scary, but I think the positive sides are that it, I think search, like we have 17,000 episodes under HRN, right? So HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Like, org is yeah. where they all live. And if you go there and you search anything related to food, I promise you, you'll get at least one episode yeah. to listen to, if not more. But I think, I think that a tool that uses AI is going to be even, you know, it's just going to take everything up a level in terms of search and discoverability and that sort of thing. So I think that can be used for, to find great content. I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I err on the side of, in terms of like the creative side of of the world, I just err on the side of like, humans are always gonna be necessary to do creative work. I mean, I think, you know, I've like, I really don't use like ChatGPT. I don't really use AI. I'm sort of like, I don't really wanna go there, partially because I like creating things. I like writing, I like, I like the creative process, you know? So I feel like if I hand something over to ChatGPT, then that might just push me into a totally different world in terms of being a creative person. But I don't, I feel like the, you can tell, you know, and maybe they'll get the tools will get more sophisticated and you'll be able to tell less that things are AI generated. But like scripting a podcast, you 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 would know. Right. And it probably wouldn't be it certainly wouldn't have the level of emotional intelligence and empathy and other things that like AI can't really can't really yet grasp. So I don't know. I'm not like I'm not I, I do think it's like scary for humanity in, in like a, if you go all the way to the one side of apocalyptic in, in a dystopian yeah. cinematic kind of way. Yeah. But I'm, but I, I think it's going to like slowly improve technology and hopefully the human side of like the creative world will remain more or less the same. Do you think that's crazy? Remain more or less the same. Well, I mean, I think it depends on how you look at AI. I mean, if you look at AI and what it produces as an, an element or an ingredient or a tool, then it would just be a creative person yeah. utilizing a different tool. I yeah. mean, I could ask the question, digital photography. Mm -hmm. Is digital photography less photography than paper developing film photography? Is someone who does that, is one more of an artist than the other? Yeah. You know, retouching, photo retouching. Is someone who's shooting photo digital photography on a Leica, a photographer where me taking the studio shot with my iPhone when we're finished recording, am I a photographer? I mean, uh, you know, Apple has a whole iPhone photographer of the year thing. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of telling me that I am. So, yeah. I mean, I could argue both sides of the coin to a certain extent. 
you know, technology very simply, we actually did a show with Linda Palacio of A Taste mm -hmm. of the Past, and it was about old tech, because at some point, at some point in humanity, a fork was big technology, yeah. a knife was big technology, you know, implements to cook and eat with and farm with. Those are tools. That was technology. We've gotten away from that in terms of how we think about technology because everything is like digital and the future. And we, you know, that's our bread and butter on this show. We love that. Yeah. But technology is simply a tool. I mean, the actual definition of technology is tools to help you do something better, faster, yeah. stronger. So AI, from one point of view, could conceivably just be a tool yeah. to help get things started. I mean, there's a little bit of a controversy, perhaps, you know, there's a, a digital AI artist who had, uh, has a piece at MoMA in the entryway, R Rafik Nadal, I think his name is. And he had his AI program look at all of the pieces of art in the Met collection. And then it's this giant frame that's a few stories high that has this constantly moving piece of artwork that comes out of the frame and in, and it's, you know, what, what, what would AI dream of if it, you know, dreamed of the MoMA collection mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. like that is the, it's the hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And so it just like intersperses and is, you know, amalgamating all these different things. And to me, that's interesting. So to me, that's AI as a tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, where you're processing it through a lens the same way you would, take video or film something or take a photograph yeah. or, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. But that's not dystopian. That's not. No, you know. no, no. That's a good, that's a, that's a positive spin, which. Cause we like technology yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's in the name of the show, <laughs> but I do think, I do think it can be helpful. As, and, and if you get into the, like the specifics of audio production, I mean, there's certainly, you know, pro tools and logic and all the other, um, DAWs that people use already have tools that help, denoise and you know they're they're tools that i think the more that ai advances the more helpful those will be in terms of like getting really good sounding audio so that's cool we are going to be talking about ai we may be using ai on the web ai on the website to help with search and things like that one of the other podcasting trends i think it's also i think it's generally a media trend a social media trend you know, we're talking about influencers, um, driving people to shows, programs, all of that. You know, there's a shift happening, and I think the shift will continue to happen where we are interested in actual people, the actual people being interested versus numbers, seeing people as, you know, human entities who are interested in something who are perhaps a part of a community versus just demographics of numbers and viewership or listenership or, you know, clicks and likes and that kind of thing, which kind of goes to a stronger community point, which I think is great for HRN mm -hmm. and, and tech bites. And then also the idea, you know, from people and community, things are, can be hyper local, also live, hyper local, which the internet, I think in digital technology that's one of the selling points is that you can just drill down to something with so much specificity where, you know, maybe there's only 17 people in that group, but those people are voraciously ride or die for whatever that thing is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think though, you know, a sort of a, nar a natural narrowing by, by hyper specific interest and then starting to look at things, you know, that, that idea of, Oh, 
consumers now, consumers of media, consumers of products, everybody knows when it's advertising and marketing, they're looking for authenticity and real communication. And you have to treat people like people and not like a demographic if you want to connect with them in a real way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of podcasting, 10 years ago, you could start a podcast about a specific topic and it didn't really matter if you had an audience yourself, like because people would find there were just so few podcasts that if you did a podcast about a specific band or about a specific aspect of food, like people would find that and you could share it easily and build an audience. It's so important now that people have an audience because I mean, because there's so much information and because it's so fragmented that that's part of the reason I think that, you know, podcasting is where it is, which is like, it's very celebrity and personality driven. But I do think we're, I think the like flip side of that is what you're describing, which is the value, like a quality over quantity sort of thing. You know, of course we want both, but to me, like having a, having a quality audience and a quality conversation and quality content is, is going to be more valuable in the long term than having like an influencer audience that is, I don't know if it's fleeting necessarily, but I think it tends to be less sticky, like in the longer term. So I, I think bringing new people into HRN is going to require some of that, you know, I think finding young people who are interested in food, who have an audience, but who also have a passion for it. It's not just, you know, because it's a different medium. I mean, you have to figure out how to fill an hour. It's not like 15 second videos. No. So I've talked to a lot of musicians. I've developed podcasts with a lot of musicians who had an idea for a thing because they wanted to do a podcast. And then they realized that it takes like a ton of time and that it's really hard and that it takes actual. <laughs> These are musicians commitment, who are, you know, and professionally th- doing something that yeah. takes a lot of work yeah. and a ton of time. And I think like an, in, like the, the whole paradox with influencers is like, it's, it's very quick. It's very fleeting. And it's just sort of antithetical to what we're doing in terms of creating like content that hopefully will be valuable for years, you know, if not longer. Well, that is the perfect segue into 2024 is heritage radio networks, 15th anniversary, a decade and a half, 15 years. So I think that's longevity for sure, especially in this day and age where things last for 24 hours, a couple minutes and, here today, you know, gone tomorrow, new cycles or, you know, micro cycles now. 15 years is a long time. It's pretty amazing um, that it sustained itself this long. And there are some, there are people who have been involved with it from the beginning, which is also amazing. And I think it's a testament to what you're saying about people being interested in food and the importance of it. What What are we doing to celebrate that? Um, well, first of all, all the people who are involved have been so welcoming of me as a food outsider and an outsider in general. So I've been around for two months of the 15 years, but people have made me feel very welcomed. So I appreciate that. Everyone I've met is awesome and and really cares about the community. Um, so a few things. The first is I was talking earlier about creating a destination for people who are passionate about food. That's the way I've been thinking about where HRN can go. And I, I mean that in in that the destination isn't just here at Roberta's, it's on social, it's in person, it's at concerts, it's at like in different forums. I think we... Like the mission statement of ESPN. I, I have a advertising and marketing background. 
And every now and again, it's like, oh, mission statement. And there's, you go online, famous company mission statements. And the mission statement of ESPN is something like to be everywhere sports fans are. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're, I think we can move in that direction for food. And I think that's, it's ambitious to think that if someone thinks about food, they think about HRN, but that's the direction we should move in. That's with the content. Um, and I will say quickly that just, you know, on the mission side, we have been for almost since the inception of the organization working to empower food system storytellers. And we uh, were talking before we started recording, we are revamping our internship program. So we're going to have, I think, eight new interns coming in in January who will work on um, the show Meet and Three and probably some other stuff. And we have a new Julia Child Fellow coming in January, which we will be announcing soon. And that side of the work is really motivating for me because we can bring people in who want to learn about audio, who want to learn about storytelling, journalism, production, and we can help them, you know, gain the skills that they need to to go into a career in in any of those fields. I mean, the media landscape's changing, so like becoming rapidly a, becoming a journalist is 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 different now than it was in the past. But that part of it is really inspiring, I think. And so for the fifteenth. Looking at like the past 15 years, we want to keep that going and we want to introduce new fellowships and new ways to bring um, young people in who want to learn about, you know, journalism and production and storytelling. Um, the on the content and event side. So next year we'll be filled with a bunch of events. Um, I'm already planning a couple in different cities. We are going to fish be at any of them. No, um, good question. They'll they'll <laughs> be invited for sure. <laughs> They're always invited. Um we have um, a campaign that's going to launch next month, which I haven't talked about publicly, but I might as well now because we're because here. we love that because and we love here. to be first. Um, we love to break news and <laughs> talk all about it. So, so I've been talking to uh, restaurateurs and chefs and venue owners in various cities, and we are going to launch a fundraising campaign in the first part of the year, where if a listener or supporter donates they'll be able to choose a city from a list of hopefully 10 or 12 cities that they want to be entered into a raffle for. And then at the end of the campaign, we're going to draw a winner in each city and that person will win um, a dinner for two at a, a really nice restaurant, two tickets to a concert of their choice. Dinner and in a that show. City. Yeah. And then probably like a gift card to a wine or cheese shop or something in that city. So we're trying to, the reason I want to do that is First of all, it's like a 15th anniversary tour, right? We're right. not going to go to every oh, city. Are we going to have t-shirts? I hope so. We need so. 15th anniversary tour need, t-shirts. We're, we're working on the logo really, now. Really? The merch is going to be important. I know. And the logo has to and be And the merch great. drop. Exactly. Yes. So so that, just because I think these providing unique experiences for people is part of the way that we kind of counter everything that we were talking about with regard to where, where content's going. So I want to do events. We're going to do this campaign. Um, and I think we're going to create some new shows. I think that's like, exciting to me. The, the idea of like the idea of food justice, which is like a huge broad topic. We've been talking a lot about that food justice. You can go from international levels down to hyper local community levels. Exactly. And there's a lot of opportunity, but I also think there's, there's a lack of, I think we can like add to the storytelling in that in those areas, whether it's narrative based kind of scripted stuff or interview based shows. Um, there's a lot of interest from underwriters, from foundations, other supporters in that. So I think, you know, content that really uh, uh, 
appeals to people who care about HRN's mission, along with bringing new and emerging storytellers into the fold, I think is a huge area of opportunity for us and something that we'll be spending a lot of time on, in addition to bringing people into the community through the content and events. And Heritage has always kind of done that, I think, been mission-based or not, it's not cause because equity is not a cause, but, you know, been focused on sort of the values and the fundamentals of our times, I think. You know, it's the predicated on pirate radio mm -hmm. and slow food movement from Italy, and that's sort of the genesis of, of Heritage Radio, actually, Yeah. Um, way back in the day. So I think that's, it's just the, what, what the things are and how we talk about them change. Yeah. And the veracity that people have for them changes. Yeah. And maybe the groups of people who are at the front lines changes. But fundamentally, I think the mission of, you know, a more delicious and equitable food world for all, I believe, is what the actual verbiage is for our... It's evolving a little bit. ...statement. But I mean, I think yeah. that's good. Yeah. Who doesn't want to get behind a more delicious, equitable world for everybody? I mean, who doesn't like delicious? Yeah. yeah and I think you're right. I just want to say that the... I don't think anything is missing. I think we want to just emphasize... Oh, I think some you know. things are missing. There are definitely things that are missing. We need some video. We need some live, live interactive shows. Lights. Lights. Uh, so we need lights, camera, and action. Yes. Basically, and we'll be good. Essentially. Uh, and you know what? I do think more shows, you know, dovetailing off of the 15th anniversary of HRN, we're going to have the 300th episode of Tech Bytes in 2024. Episode 300. Gerard Butler, where are you? Amazing. So that is a big milestone. When I started it in when I started Tech Bytes in January of 2015, I never imagined it would be eight, nine years later, and I'd be doing episode 300. So that's amazing. So what do I think about the the, <clears throat> the show itself has changed a little bit over time, and it has over time become, in some respects, more political, um, driven by certain issues in a way that it wasn't at the very beginning. We still do Forbes 30 under 30, the food winners um, as the beginning of the show every year in January, like we've been doing from the beginning. We still, you know, talk with um, great women founders and CEOs like Alice Chang of uh, Culinary Agents and um, Bento Box and, you know, tech companies that are the business of the business. But we've also been following things like delivery and workers' justice and the workers' justice movement with uh, Los Deliveristas Unidos, which was the show we did earlier in the week as the recap show for 2023. Um, you know, all different kinds of things, food and equity, you know, funding, funding for food tech, all of those kinds of things. And over time, it has become a little more political mm -hmm. um, because you know, how we get our food and what our food represents has become more political, which, you know, I didn't, wasn't necessarily in my pitch deck when I pitched the show. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that it's here because it makes it, uh, you know, a different, it gives it a different opportunity to come and, you know, share the mic with somebody in the studio. Yeah. Although for new shows though, what we're going to be doing at the beginning of 2024 is we're going to do wellness, fitness, and health food tech. There's so much of that happening right now. And you know, self-care, health, fitness, wellness 
are exploding in terms of subjects people are interested in, things people are interested in, what they're spending their money on. I think it's just the natural evolution of, you know, uh, voracious consumer generation coming, come, you know, aging. But I think it's also a result of the pandemic where life and health and mortality became a very, very present, real question, quandary, concern, fear for the world. And I think coming out of the pandemic, people are really focused in spending money and time and energy and being as healthy and well as they can. And like everything, you know, there's great tech and not so great tech <laughs> and some things that do what they say and don't and all that. So we're going to be doing a series on uh, wellness and health and fitness and things like that within the tech space. Um, and we're also going to be meeting, uh, you know, professional version of me that we've never met on the show before, which is performance coach and trainer, which is what I actually do in life as a job uh, for the past few years. Uh, many of you know me as like a creative director, advertising person. Um, but now I do that. I work with regular people and amateur athletes and professional athletes and everyone in between about just living better, moving better, feeling better, feeling stronger. So we're going to come into the year with that, which is a great thing to do in January, in the beginning of the year, because everybody's very focused on that. Yeah. Uh, so look forward to that as we march to episode 300. Um, and I think that's it. For now, what we want to reveal for what's coming, is there anything else that we forgot or should mention? I mean, it is the end of the year. Yeah. We are winding down. If you are looking for some place to write a big nonprofit check to because you want to balance your tax return, Heritage Radio Network, 501c3 nonprofit, Operators are standing by. We are ready <laughs> to help you with a tax write-off for 2023. It's true. Um, we're also looking for sponsors and collaborators, specifically for Tech Bytes, and also for the network. So think about that if you're getting into your planning for 2024. Um, yeah, I think that's it. And I would say if you're around, come on down tonight for our, our music event, but... This will probably post 24 hours from now and it'll be over. But you could still come to Roberta's and still enjoy the Christmas tiki bar and still have pizza and listen to maybe a recorded podcast version of the It's event. great. It's a great place to be. I'm so excited about tonight. Um, thanks, Jennifer. The, the one thing we didn't talk about is just in terms of food trends. Oh. The, the most exciting thing for me is ice cream. So what? Ice cream. Yeah. Why is why because is just, ice cream? Because I love ice cream. So it's a personal favorite, a personal and you thing. want to talk about ice cream. Well, trends I just want to know if you know of any trends that I should be on the lookout for. Well, you know, we had a great ice cream company on the show, and we actually had two ice cream episodes on the show in the summer. We had one thing called Scream Truck, which is an ice cream truck on demand that comes to your neighborhood or house or event. Wow. And it's powered by these amazing uh, environmentally clean batteries and not like diesel generator hmm. fuel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was great. It's called Scream Truck. The other um, ice cream that we had was an ice cream that uses, that does a whole flavor series using uh, food that would have gone to waste. Interesting. And so we did a whole series, we did a whole uh, salt and straw. We did a we did a show with them on their summer on their summer flavors, 
that were using essentially repurposed food. And one of them came from a company um, where they repurpose the whey that is the cast off from the Greek yogurt process. And New York State is the top producer of Greek yogurt mm. in the country. Mm -hmm. There's something like 3 billion gallons of whey that go to waste or something like that, which is insane. And you can't just dump waste out into the water or into the earth because it has such a high acidic profile and it's alive and has all these things that it's actually not great for the environment. So you got to do something with it. So they're doing stuff with it. Food trends. Food trends, you will continue to see increasing numbers of plant-based, lab-grown versions of animal products. You will continue to see those until the end of time. They are on a scale like regular food of good for you and good for the environment just because something is plant-based, made in a factory, or lab-grown does not mean it is necessarily better for your body or better for the planet or better for your wallet. It is now a category of food that is just like every category of food where there are things that are great for you and things that are less great for you. So that's a trend that's going to keep coming, but it is like other things where now it's just one more thing that people have to be aware of yeah. and attentive to. We did a bunch of shows last year with people who are developing um, some plant-based things where they understand that the, some of the process and the ingredients that companies are using are actually as wasteful, if not more wasteful, as traditional farming, agriculture, industrial food production that we're theoretically supposedly trying to get away from. It's just replacing one with another. So there's that's going to be a trend that you're going to continue to see. You'll continue to see it in stores and supermarkets, fast food menus, restaurants, all that kind of stuff. It's a category that will grow financially in terms of availability, and it's a category that will grow with all the aches and pains of regulation, is it good for you, all that kind of stuff. So that that we will definitely see that. Mushrooms, did a couple episodes on mushrooms. Mushrooms will continue to grow exponentially. Um, I don't mean the psilocybin magic mushrooms yeah. that are currently illegal in the United States, but legal in other countries, although that will probably come, though maybe not 2024, maybe a little bit further down. But mushrooms as adaptogens, mushrooms as a base uh, ingredient for other plant-based items, you know, for mood, for energy, for, you know, elixirs, mm -hmm. gummies, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mushrooms, adaptogens, all those things. Anything you can pack into a gummy and say it's good for people, you will continue to see more and more of that. Wearable tech. Wearable tech right now is, uh, you know, coming from like the performance and fitness space. Uh, wearable tech like a Whoop wristband or your Apple Watch or a heart rate monitor or the Aura Ring. All of those things are more and more prevalent. You see more and more people wearing them. They're still a little cost prohibitive, though, for the average person. I mean, spending a couple hundred dollars on something like that, plus the subscription to get the data. But all the technology exists for you to put on a jacket or put on a thing and it to start to give you information about how you're feeling. Do you need more sleep? What do you need to eat? Do you need to balance this in your body? Are you hydrated? Do you have enough sodium, potassium? All that technology exists, just hasn't quite come together yet. Um, and the price points need to come down 
on some of these things individually for them to have a broader, broader appeal. But I do think personal wearable technology mm -hmm. that is monitoring your biometrics, uh, we're just really, really mm. at the very beginning trends of that. And that's just going to go up. And then everything that's derived from that, if you think about all of those data points that biometrically those devices are giving you, there will be a food nutritional supplement answer to fix that, whether it's in the form of, you know, a great new like fast food, fast casual restaurant that's going to have all these great things for you or um, personalized personalized vitamin gummies or proteins or this or that or food or delivery, mm -hmm. you know, it's all going to just become the way the algorithm has funneled everything to be more and more personal to you, the way advertising and data metrics funnel things to be more and more personal to you based on information they pull from about you from the web. Wearable technology will start to do that and we will start to see more and more information about our, our bodies and the current snapshot of what's happening and then products and services to answer those questions and data points. So I do think all of that's coming um, and we're at the very beginning and likely the people who will be the early adopters are the same people who are the early adopters of the iPhone or the Apple Watch or the Whoop. You know, there's a very specific category of tech, you know, people who have income, interest in tech, who can like make the, the leap of the, I forget what it's called, the chasm of, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. innovation who are interested in that. And it's probably people in their, you know, like 40s now, 40s and 50s who are already starting to chase the fountain of youth. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So that doesn't maybe necessarily answer your question about food trends. Um, but if you're going to be spending time in New York City, food trends in terms of restaurants, yeah. um, Korean and Asian foods will continue to be at the forefront of everything. Um, Filipino restaurants are starting to get more and more play. A new Filipino restaurant just opened from the um, folks who own the chef and restaurant group, Unapologetic Hospitality, that owns Sema. And some of the great Indian restaurants, they just opened a um, Filipino restaurant. Mm. So I think Filipino is chasing the uh, next newest sort of Asian food category, which we don't know that much about, but I'm sure people will love. Um, they also did a very interesting AI interactive dining experience, and we had them on the show twice about that. They just did it down at Art Basel last year um, in Miami, Miami Art Basel. Interactive food will be something. Mm -hmm. um, still small things, shareable things. Um, and then curated experiences, I think, where there's, um, you know, we're seeing more and more like vinyl, vinyl restaurant, wine bar, cocktail bar, go listen to music curated while you do a thing, you know, um, which is. Yeah, one of my friends in Philly who's a chef did a vinyl night every month this year. And it, it like the turnout's been great. There's a little place in, I think it's the East Village that does vinyl, that does listening. And their happy hours, like vinyl listening party with a very specific, you know, producer or music mm -hmm. or genre. Mm -hmm. um, and the Star Michelin starred restaurant that was here. Is it still here? Did it reopen after the pandemic? Almost. Blanca? 
It's almost there. It's close. They have a turntable and vinyl. And when you go eat there, you can put vinyl on to listen nice. to while you're eating. So I do think um, small experiential restaurant experiences you will continue to see. And, you know, everything is so expensive now. People, labor, product, ingredients. Uh, I do think that, you know, that third place, that third space idea, the coffee shop, the small bar, the small restaurant, you know, not necessarily a full service restaurant, not a fast food place where you can go and you can sit and visit and have an experience with people. And it's going to be at a more manageable single item price point. Mm -hmm. That is a trend that you will continue to see more of sort of not exactly coffee shops per se, but you know, like coffee sandwich, something you see yeah. like the coffee plant shops also like little kind of hybrid things where people still want to go out and sit down and share some type of food item and visit with people or read a book or do that. Yeah. Um, and we still need things that are going to hold a, a, an accessible price point for people to be able to do that because everything is just, you know, becoming more and more expensive. So those smaller experiential single item beverage snacky types of things, I think will be on point for trend in terms of types of openings that you'll see. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, listeners, that wraps it up for Tech Bytes for 2023. Last episode, we're already looking at 2024. Happy to welcome RJB to the network and to the show. I'm sure you will be hearing from him later, possibly next year possibly with some of his really famous, fun music friends. And maybe we'll come and do like a music episode, which we've also done way back in the day. Jack Inslee, who's one of the original founders of Heritage Radio Network, he actually built the studio. He was our first engineer, very, very first one. He was great. He is a DJ. He found the Tech Bytes theme song, which was created by one of his colleagues, DJ Uptown Nico. And uh, DJ Uptown Nico and Jack came and did a DJ set on the show. Nice. Yeah. It's one of my favorite episodes. We don't really talk about food at all, but the music is great. Yeah. It's like a 30 minute DJ set. We should in do the that. Middle. We it's can fantastic. Do, we can reprise that. Yeah. I love that. Have a great end of the year. Think about us when you're looking for that tax donation. It'll help us make more radio. It'll be good for your bottom line and it'll be good for your karma. It's important to do good things for good people and keep good food in the world. I want to thank Armin, who is my current engineer, who I met for the first time earlier this year because he's a pandemic engineer. He is in the booth. I want to thank him. I want to thank the whole HRN staff who have done an amazing job of keeping us all together and on the air these many years before the studio opened. Cannot say enough. And I'll, I'll even give a shout out to the board who found RJ. <laughs> I'll thank them. But mostly I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank the people who give us the grants. I want to thank you, our members and listeners. Even though I could have a great time coming in to Roberta's and having pizza and talking with people, I would enjoy that. I would love that. It would be beneficial. 
it makes it so much more worthwhile knowing that we're doing it to share with you and that you might share it with somebody. And then maybe someday you'll come back around and talk to us about something you're doing or you'd like to hear. It's the end of the year. Make a wish. Wish for more radio. Wish for more good food for everyone. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bites. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.